thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. When Karen and I were first married, we lived in Queen Charlotte Sound, and this was our daily view. Uh, people would come and stay with us, and they would remark about the beauty of the place. It's a great spot, isn't it? It's stunning. But we saw it every single day, and so we got used to it. We became complacent with the view. We forgot how beautiful it was. When we get complacent, we can miss the beauty, can't we? The edge can come off. We see it, but we don't really see it. I wonder if sometimes that actually happens with some of these major Christian festivals. We've had Ascension, now Pentecost, we've got Trinity next week, and we can lose some of the, uh, some of the edge. It comes off. Some of you will have heard more sermons on Pentecost than I've had birthdays. And so we can get complacent. We've heard it before, haven't we? We know the events. After the death and resurrection and then the ascension of Jesus, the apostles are gathered together in a room and something happens to them in Jerusalem. They hear a sound like the rushing of wind and these unusual flames flicker above their heads. And then they begin to speak about the wonders of God in foreign tongues. In those moments, a promise of God is being fulfilled. The word of God to them is coming true. Men and women are being turned into a radical new prophesying community. The kingdom of God at that moment is breaking into the world in ordinary people to bring about the will of God in the people of God. There are lots of different aspects that we can focus on at Pentecost. Maybe we'd spend time thinking about the miraculous events that have happened. This idea of speaking in tongues and the visions or the dreams that are talked about. We could look towards the end times where we see the billows of smoke and the blood and the fire. There's all of this symbolism going on. We could think about the power of the Spirit at work bringing about these supernatural events in the lives of believers. And some of us will know moments like that, won't we? Some of us have had charismatic experiences, momentary touches where heaven and earth didn't seem so far apart. Now, for some of us, that will sound as foreign as It will sound as foreign as when I speak Bahasa Indonesia with my friends when we go to the church to pray together. For some of us, that's just not part of our Christian experience, these supernatural events happening. Well, today what I want us to do is to focus on what the coming of God's Holy Spirit means for all of us, whether or not we've had these charismatic experiences. But one of the challenges for us as a church as we do that today is going to be fighting the complacency. We're going to need to open our eyes and to see the wonderful beauty of Pentecost as we answer this question together. Why is the Holy Spirit given to believers? That's where we're going. Why don't we pray? Father God, we're so thankful that you speak to us by your word. We're so thankful that your spirit is alive and active in us. And today we pray that you would help us not to be complacent as we come to your word and think of Pentecost again, but that you would open our hearts and set them on fire 
as we think about the very reasons that your spirit was given to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Why did these extraordinary, highly public events, which even confused some of the eyewitnesses, take place? Why was the Holy Spirit sent upon the apostles on the day of Pentecost? The Spirit was given, and the Spirit is still given, so that believers can prophesy. Now, that might sound a bit unusual. If you've grown up in Middle Anglicanism, you're probably not expecting too much talk about prophecy within our Sunday services. That might be a bit uncomfortable. We can think of prophecy as a kind of a mystic experience linked with telling the future. Uh, And in the Old Testament, there are books that follow that kind of pattern. It exists. There are 17 different Old Testament books written by the prophets where that does take place. God speaks to them and through them. People like Ezekiel or Daniel or Jeremiah or Isaiah, they tell what God has done and what he's about to do. There are times in the New Testament where God has plainly revealed future events to a follower of Jesus. We see it frequently through the book of Acts where uh, Paul is given instructions by God about what's going to happen next. But that's not what's meant by prophecy in the context of this passage in Acts. As we think about what was going on and what was being proclaimed, some of the hearers were so confused by this noise, this hubbub, that they mocked the apostles and the strange languages that were coming from their lips. They weren't drunk, Peter tells them. God was acting. He's fulfilling a promise. Peter says this is what was spoken about by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. What they were seeing and hearing was foretold by Joel. They were expecting people to prophesy, and that's what went on. People were telling the wonders of God. Seven times in Acts 2, Luke tells us that the apostles have been given the gift of tongues, the ability to speak these other languages, to do just that, to witness to the wonders of God. In those different languages, they gave testimony to the work of God and all that they had seen as they'd lived and walked with Jesus, as they'd heard him teach. They told of how he was the only way for us to be right with God, and that by his sacrificial death in our place, an exchange had happened, that we were credited with his righteousness while he was punished for our sins. Their proclamation. Their telling of the wonders of God is the prophecy that the Holy Spirit was enabling. And the new kingdom reality for people who follow Jesus now is that we have been given the Holy Spirit to speak of the wonders of God. Why was the Holy Spirit poured out at Pentecost? So that believers can prophesy. That's our task too, isn't it, church? You've heard it almost every week from me for a year now. I hope it's sinking in. It is our task, given by the Spirit of God, to share and to live out the good news of Jesus. Christians are called to prophesy, to proclaim the wonders of God. And we have some amazing examples in our church family 
of true life stories of our experience of, of God's wonders at work. Some of us can talk about the help that God has been when we have been deep in the dark struggles of mental health. And we are the hope that he gave made a real difference. Some of us can tell of what it was like when a, a God gave them strength and hope when a husband or wife died. That they were reminded that death was not the end, but that one day they would see their husband or wife who believed in Jesus. And that made a difference. We have people who can tell stories of the love and compassion that they have received when they were ill. Some of us can talk about the way that being part of our church family has eased their loneliness because they have been welcomed into a community of love and care and fellowship and friendship. We have people who can share about the joy that we have as we gather together and we sing and we pray and we hear God's word talk to us. Friends, we can all prophesy We can all proclaim the wonders of God at work in our lives with people who don't yet know Jesus. And in those conversations where we share how God has been at work in our lives, we can start to talk about the big things that God has done. We can point to the ultimate works that he's done for us. For all of humanity who would believe in him, we can talk about his saving work on the cross in the Lord Jesus. The Spirit was given so that we can prophesy that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, just as verse 21 tells us. So if we are called to prophesy so that all might be saved, then we have to ask another question. Saved from what? What is it that we're saved from? Well, the reading from Romans today spells it out for us. Condemnation in verse 1, death, sin, and futility of the law in verse 2. The Old Testament law is a focus here in Romans, and it was established to warn the people of God and to highlight the conditions of their hearts. The warning was clear you cannot draw near to a holy God. Impurity must be burnt away like dross from a bar of gold. And when we look at ourselves and know ourselves, we know that we all have chunks of impurity that need to be burnt away. As humanity and as individuals, we can't even keep the Ten Commandments. We lie and we steal and we commit adultery. We dishonor our parents. We worship many things other than God. We curse with his name instead of blessing with it. We covet what others have and want their stuff or their life, or their family, or their relationships. It's our human nature, isn't it? Our flesh, verse 6 tells us. And the mind that is governed by the flesh is death. It is hostile to God, verse 7. It doesn't submit to his law, and it can't do so. It is beyond us to live God's way, despite the law and the rules and the regulations. The law doesn't work. It is good and righteous, but we see in verse 3, it is powerless because of the weakness of our flesh. Sometimes when I drive my car, I speed. 
When I push the speed limit and I press my foot down and the needle creeps up, I'm not ignorant of the speed limit. I know what it is. I just want to go faster than it. Now, the speed limit is a good thing, right? It's there to keep me safe. Someone has evaluated the roads and said, actually, in this stretch, the safest speed for you is this. This will keep you alive. But that law doesn't help me unless I obey it. What happens when I put my foot down or I twist the throttle is it highlights my lack of innocence and reveals the true state of my heart. I will not be told how fast to go. What it shows you is that I'm rebellious and proud and willful and stubborn and I don't like being stuck behind a bus. But in God's mercy, systems of restitution were given to the Israelites so that people could make amends with God. The price for sin could be paid by an animal sacrifice given by a priest who mediated between the people and God. The blood of the innocent animal temporarily covered the sin of the human offender. But that system would never come to an end. Because the desire of our hearts doesn't just change by keeping rules to match the desires of God. Friends, we are slaves to our desires. We do what we don't want to do. This week I read some really harrowing tales of people who are living in our world in modern slavery. It's a tremendous issue. It's huge. Did you know that at this time there are more people in slavery on the face of the earth than there have been at any other time in our modern history? Even with the abolition of slavery and the moves that we've taken, human people are trafficked and sold into slavery every day. One of my friends witnessed it recently who's working in the Ukraine, uh, where he was at the border there in Poland, and a van came up and bundled about three or four women and children into it, closed the door and drove off before anybody knew what was going on. The hardest story that I read this week was of a 16-year-old girl called Nita in Nepal. Life in her family was really hard. Her mother works making bricks. And so in order to help her family, she decided she would move from her village and take a job at a cafe in Kathmandu. And it wasn't very long before the cafe owner forced her to wear provocative clothes and dance naked for men, which eventually ended up with her being forced into prostitution. This poor girl's mother knew that something was wrong when she didn't hear from her anymore. And so she went to an NGO for help. Nita says, I was so lucky that my mother found me. If not, I don't know where I would be now. After the men who had taken her were arrested, it was discovered that they planned to sell her to a brothel in India, where she may have been lost forever. Monday slavery is cruel and horrific. And in every story that I read about these modern-day slaves, they all needed someone else to see their plight, to have compassion and to help them escape, just like Nita's mother was able to. They couldn't escape alone. They were trapped. They needed more than a law that was made 
to tell them that what was happening was wrong. They didn't just need a law that said what was happening was illegal. They needed a rescuer. Friends, our world has that kind of rescuer. God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Jesus breaks the chains of slavery to the desires of the flesh. And he satisfies the right requirement of God's law on our behalf. A law which he upheld perfectly. And now he sends his very spirit to reside in us so that we don't have to live according to the desires of the flesh, but we can allow the spirit of God to shape us more and more to put those desires to death within us. Verse 13 tells us we are saved from slavery to sin. We aren't powerless We have the helper, the advocate, the very spirit of Jesus Christ who conquered death and sin living in us. And that spirit shapes us every day as we submit to his way, which is revealed to us perfectly in his word. So if the spirit was sent to save, to save any who would call on the name of the Lord from condemnation, sin, death, and the law, from slavery to sin, what have we been saved to? Friends, if you're in the Lord Jesus, you have been saved to glorious freedom. You have been given an amazing eternal future with God that you will share forever and ever. You have been given a new family and freedom from fear. It's an amazing future that he holds out to anyone who would trust in him. When we receive the Holy Spirit, at the moment we trust Jesus, we are set free. Verse 9 tells us we don't live in the realm of the flesh. We don't have to let our carnal desires influence every choice we make. We can set our minds and our hearts on what the Spirit desires, and we are in the realm of the Spirit. Our thoughts and our hearts have been captivated by Him, which makes a difference here and now. Yes, we have a wonderful eternal future with God to look forward to, but he is at work today. Because God's spirit lives in us, we can learn his ways. We can be people who practice patience and humility and compassion and generosity. We can cultivate obedience and gentleness and self-control. We can become people who build others up instead of tear them down who live in a community of harmony and care, not a community of gossip and grumbling, who put the needs of others ahead of our own, who spend our lives in the pursuit of justice and peace as we share and live the good news of Jesus. We can't do that alone, but by the Spirit of Christ in us, we can, verse 10 declares. We can fight to be Jesus-shaped people. And not just that we can, we have an obligation to. Verse 12 tells us. Now it talks about an obligation, but it might be better read, you have a debt to account for. Not a debt to the flesh, calling us to do whatever it pleases, 
but a debt to the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in us. It is his will and his desire that we can be shaped to and we are obliged to be shaped to if we are followers of the Lord Jesus. Doesn't that give us a wonderful hope here and now? Jesus hasn't abandoned us. He's sent his spirit to guide us into action. We can put to death the misdeeds of the body as we submit to him at work in us. Friends, there is a better way to live than the ways of this world. And it is freely available to us in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's not the only hope we have. That's not the only thing we are saved to when we put our trust in Jesus. We have been saved to a wonderful new family. The Holy Spirit makes us not just the children of God, but even more, we are told, we have been adopted to sonship. We have all been taken and elevated to the place held by the eldest son. We become the heir and the inheritor of all of God's good gifts. Whether we are male or female, God has bestowed the very highest honour upon us. Through Jesus, he has made us all eldest sons. Jesus has taken what is rightfully his and he's shared it with all of us. And so like Jesus, we can call God our heavenly father. We can draw near to him, this wonderful, perfect, holy God, because he has accepted us and marked us as his own through Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean that life will be easy. To share in Jesus' glory, we must also share in his suffering. Some people will still reject the good news of Jesus and those of us who share it. But have no fear. There is no need for us to fear the cancel culture of our day when we say something that's unpopular. Or we don't need to fear rejection by others because we put Christ first. We don't need to fear our own failings and brokenness because God knew and loved us while we were still sinners. Friends, there is no condemnation for those who are now in Christ Jesus. The ones who have received his Holy Spirit so that we might prophesy and tell the wonders that God has done. Any who call on the name of the Lord have been saved from condemnation and sin and death and given a wonderful hope in this life, a wonderful hope of a future in eternity, and we've been made the very children, the eldest sons of God. Friends, the gift of the Holy Spirit is a marvellous gift, isn't it? No matter how or when we've experienced the Spirit's work among us, we all share these same gifts if we call on the name of the Lord. Gifts which allow us not to live life according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, first poured out on God's people at Pentecost. Why don't we pray and ask God to help us to live just like that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your Spirit so that we might share the wonders that you have worked in our lives and for all of humankind. Lord, even this week, would you bring one or two across our paths who we can share the good news with, who we can tell of the time that you were at work and we saw your hand. Lord, we ask it so that they might come to know and love you as well. 
Father, would you continue to help us to set our minds on the Spirit, to see revealed in your word the way you'd have us live, so that we might not live with the desires of the flesh, but the desires of your Spirit, that we might be shaped to be more and more like you in the wonderful power at work within us through your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. If you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page simply by searching for Richmond Anglican Aotearoa. You can also touch base with us online at our website or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening. Mm